Yo, you already know what it is. Welcome to another episode of the Sports and Animes podcast. We got a lot of content for you guys today. Basketball, UFC. But first, let me introduce my brothers, my fellow co-hosts, the usual suspects. Abdusalam and Omar. What's going on, boys? Going on, baby. How you guys doing? Doing well, bro. What's popping, everybody? Yo, just uh, wish we got a little bit more sleep beforehand. I think Omar was up until like 7 a.m. last night watching Worlds. I was up till like 5 or 6 playing Genshin Impact. I mean, <laughs> bro, Deathworth. Yeah, I wouldn't say I regret it necessarily, but kind of wish that I had a little bit more sleep. Definitely going to need more coffee after this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, th- this is I'm on the same boat as you guys, honestly. Like, uh, I woke up today at like, I don't even know, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Lions were already playing, actually. So, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 definitely been one of those Sundays. I mean, I, even now I'm in my room and I have the blinds. On. It's just it's it's very cloudy up here in Michigan. And uh, it's definitely having that starting to get that seasonal depression sort of uh, thing going on. Do we even want to talk about the Lions real quick? I had notes from their game against the Cardinals and was like, wow, they're doing such and such differently. They're playing more zone. They're spreading out the ball a little bit more playing. They even got Jesse James involved and he hadn't had a single target the first two games. And then they came back and did their usual thing against the Saints and blew a huge lead. They were up 14-0 in the first five minutes of the game. Completely blew it. Tried to make it respectable at the very end. And it's just another tough loss. Dude, it was legitimately a carbon copy of last week's game. Uh, or not last week's against the Cardinals, uh, the week before against the Packers. And by the way, I, you guys are talking about sleep. I literally woke up to as he's screaming because the Lions got a touchdown <laughs> and then a pick and another touchdown and they're up 14-0 in the first five minutes. I literally went back to sleep because I was like, I know what's going to happen. And what do you know? Exact same thing. Except they won up themselves this week. They allowed 35 unanswered points this time. Oh, man, it's uh, honestly, shout out to you for even writing notes, because at this point they should hire you because clearly they don't need credentials to to be able to lead that team. I mean, might as well, honestly, because I don't see like any actual coaching being done on the Lions team. So might as well just hire me. I'll come in with some fresh ideas. That's really all. I feel like it really couldn't hurt anyone with those fresh ideas. That's (laughs) I mean. Look, all I'm saying, all I'm saying no is I won't, draft, right now, so. I won't draft two running backs in the second round for two of the three years. I won't do that at least. Yo, look, okay, not really much we want to say about the Lions, right? We fucked the Lions. Uh, we needed to completely change from. But the we top still love down. the Lions. Uh, I. Oh, God. We talked about it last episode, guys. <laughs> what, hey, but look, so, what I did, hey, I did want to mention one thing from that game. Fuck Jonathan Vilma. This guy was the commentator on Fox Sports 1 during this game. I, he was the uh, old Saints linebacker. This is the most, he gave me the Portland Trailblazers commentator vibes. He was so biased. This guy was so annoying, bro. Like, you know, when, when the Lions or uh, the Saints, like at the end of the game, they ended up uh, moving the sticks and the Lions used all their timeouts and, and whatever. And he's just ball game. And like the entire game, bro, he's just, oh, man, my guy. It's just, man, the Saints are really missing. Uh, what was that guy's name? He's like, they're really missing this guy out Ryan there. Ryan Ramshack. So Ryan Ramshack is the right tackle. And basically, like when the Lions defense, normally you talk about the Lions defense needing to make stops or something like that. The whole time, just like, yeah, they're really missing Ryan Ramshack out there. They can't run the ball to the right like they were like, early. Shut up. Like, like, this is definitely a time where the, he should be talking about what the Lions need to do to get back in the game. And no, what's he doing? He's talking about the Saints again. He was so annoying to listen to, bro. Oh. Yeah, no. I mean, what do you expect, first of all, right? Like, the guy literally, what was it? They showed a week ago when they were at New Orleans, like, how they gave him some inauguration, some portrait that they made for him or something. I mean, the worst part is he was the color commentator for this game. 
And so all he <laughs> talked about was the Saints. We're the Saints. I mean, Drew Brees, how he's just the best competitor. He literally went on this tangent for like 20 minutes where he talked about how, you know, that you guys know what I'm talking about, that story he had where, you know, one Which day. One? <laughs> yeah, right. One day, one day he beat Drew Brees to the locker room or to practice because he got there at 5 a.m. So what does Drew do? Well, the next day he showed up at 4.55 by five minutes. Bro, <laughs> bro, yo. He couldn't talk like he could not compliment the lines in any way, shape, or form. Literally, any time the lines did something well, he just would go like, "Oh, yep, that's something we're gonna have to work on on Monday." Like, bro, you're not <laughs> on the team. <laughs> Stop. Like, look, I don't mind. I don't mind former players being commentators, right? Tony Romo's a dope commentator. Chris Spielman's a great commentator. They're Nate Burleson's awesome. a great commentator. But dude, hide your bias just a little bit, just a little bit. Like, you're an NFL commentator. You're not like a local commentator. Everything is national. So. Just chill like, out. Just like, just like, you want to be a commentator? Great. You know, I'm sure you're honestly, like, pretty good, too. You just should not be allowed to commentate a Saints game. Just don't give him that. If not, he shouldn't be a commentator at all. It literally took, I mean, I can't say it took away from the game. I didn't want to watch the game anyway because the Lions. But, yeah, that's that's really all I wanted to say about I, it. I, I have to ask you, uh, for, like, the first, because, like, our mode, I was not watching throughout the first 14 points. And albeit, I mean, they scored the first 14 points in, like, five minutes or something like that. But, yeah. Like, I just wasn't watching. I was I was actually getting ready to work out, you know. So wh- how was Jonathan Vilma commentating throughout that period of time? Like, what was he saying? I, at that point, he wasn't, like, being super biased or any. Stafford, honestly speaking, Stafford wasn't very – like, I know the, the score doesn't say it, but Stafford wasn't even throwing the ball very well. He just kind of got, like, a nice little 50-yard catch to Amendola, and then the offense kind of started after that. But, no, I mean, he was kind of normal. It was when the Saints started getting momentum that, you know, you could – you knew he started getting, like, a half chub, and he eventually, like <laughs> – <laughs> Went to full mass. Just like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's talk about the same thing. Breathed game. life into him. <laughs> it really did. Hey, Honestly, guys, I, guess, I, I think I think we should I think we should get on get moving to our side. Hey, Jonathan Vilma, Jonathan Vilma, if you ever listen to this, like we respect the hell out of you. You were an awesome player. Bounty gate aside, but yeah, dude, just. Try to hide the bias a little bit. And to be honest, you're, you're you're a fine commentator. You have the you have the voice down. You got all that stuff down. It's just yeah, come on now. <laughs> oh man, yo yo. So before before we get started on our main segments and everything, I know my man Omar. We watched the fight together, UFC 254. I'm going to talk about it, baby. I know you want to talk about this. Boy, bro. Izzy Adesanya. That's how you say his name properly, by the way. This guy, man. He's just... I've been watching this guy for a minute, and I was so excited for this fight. It was a huge buildup ever since the Romero fight. They were talking a lot of trash back then. And, and because of that fight and the way it went down, everybody was hating on him. They were calling him a, like a boring fighter, even though literally the fight before that for the belt, he destroyed Robert Whitaker in the second round. Within two rounds, he actually probably would have won the first round, but he knocked down Whitaker and then it was right at the end of the first round, so he got saved by the bell. Knocked him out in two rounds, and then the fight before that, literally against Gastelum, was the fight of the year. So everybody got off his bandwagon, and then Paulo Costa would just was talking all of this mad crap to him. And, and I, what I love about Izzy, man, is he's such he's a mad troll, major troll. Like this guy, like he will rip into you on Twitter, on Insta, on all that stuff. And the dopest part about him is he's a huge anime buff, so he he always does all of these uh what's what's the word? He always references. He always references anime anyway leading up to this fight a lot of people were thinking paulo costa would be able to get the edge on him especially after that romero fight in the entire time man i'm like paulo costa is no different than the fighters that he's fought before in his life he's just another power puncher it doesn't matter 
if you're stronger than the last power puncher you fought. Because in terms of styles, Izzy is just going to destroy you. He stands on the outside. He plays the distance game. He chops your legs. He plays the distance uh, with his strikes, with his jabs. And he's so precise, man. He hits you exactly where he's looking. And it was actually, it went down exactly what I thought was going to happen. Second round TKO. That was all she wrote, man. But God dang, man. That was... God, these UFC fights, like, you wait so long for them, you know? You literally wait months for them, and they're so hyped up. UFC does a really good job marketing them. But, yeah, man, super hyped about it. I'm still literally on that on that high. Yo, I know uh, Izzy loves to reference Naruto, and he loves to say that he has the Sharingan and everything. And don't get me wrong, definitely has some visual prowess. But he uh, kind of reminds me of, like, someone from the Hyuga clown, uh, Hyuga clan, too, with his precision. It's like he uses the Byakugan sees like your your chakra points and your nerve endings and stuff and just Ooh, attacks yes. right there dude that's literally like the perfect metaphor analogy for it because he literally like he was talking about when he kicks people in the legs like specifically where he kicks them he goes for their perineal nerve where it splits right behind their knee and that nerve pretty much supplies uh the feeling that goes down your leg and he he goes for that every single time man and he was chopping that boy up and he's got skinny shins too so it was it was just ravaging Costa's leg which started bleeding after Afterwards. But man, dude, it's so violent, by the way, to say this, but like, there is nothing better than just watching a guy that talks shit get his face punched in, man. It is so fun to watch, especially when it's your guy doing the punching, you know? Shout out to Habib, too. Very satisfying fight, honestly. I mean, uh, I agree with all your points, you know? It's, it was just something that had a large buildup, a lot of trash talk on both sides. Izzy, he, he showed up. He showed up. He does what what you would expect him to do. Like you said, I mean, it's all about styles, right? Especially in the MMA. This guy is a, he will pick, he's a pick you apart type of guy, right? Like he's not going to rush in and do anything stupid. He's very, he's very smart in the way he fights. Uh, you see that in the way he fights, right? Literally always kind of attacking the, the weak spots. And then um, pretty much just goes in and then finishes the job. And, and he did a, a fantastic job against Costa and he did a, fast, a great job against Romero. And it, you can feel the fight sort of lull and things like that. But you have to keep in mind, I mean, these guys are literally in a ring trying to kill each other. The way he goes about it, how calm he is in nature and things like that, in a very, very defensive, reactive stance, it's it's fantastic. And my favorite part about him, which, I mean, his fighting is spectacular, right? But my favorite part about him is the fact that he pretty much beats you before the fight even happens. Like, he's the type of guy who is, like, sizing you up before the fight. He was talking about the entire time when he met uh, Paulo Costa uh, at the UFC Island. Like, the first time that they met each other was, like, off-camera, and all of the antics and stuff that Paulo Costa was doing in front of the media all went away when they met each other when cameras weren't there and he was like super soft to them super calm they like shook hands and stuff like that and Adesanya was just like yeah man like he, he wasn't about it he gets your spirit bro that's why he's, he's from Naruto bro he's got the shining gun bro his shining gun is activated he says it himself he just he he can see you he can see your spirit and he'll just he'll size you up and he'll be like yeah this guy's not about it this guy ain't it absolutely it definitely helps that we like his personality you know what I mean like that's something that's huge because a lot of times especially in combat sports when they are not super flashy because i can draw similarities to floyd mayweather and i do not like floyd, May floyd mayweather at all Bro, majority please. majority because of his personality i mean the personality but also that that'll take you know i i could dive into that Bro, hours, Bro, Bro, israel Ades i hope you're not comparing israel adesanya's personality to floyd not no, absolutely not and that's what i'm saying right maybe if floyd mayweather had a more likable personality we wouldn't all hate him the way that Thank we hate you. right i mean but, there's just yeah, yeah, yeah. But they fight. Yeah, they fight in a similar way, right? I mean, it's 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 sort of counterpunching, right? A little defensive, smart. They fight smart, but obviously 
there's there's a lot more things I can complain about Mayweather for sure. Even out, yeah, outside the ring, but also even inside of the ring, right? But with Israel Adesanya, we don't have that. And so it helps out a lot because... Yeah, it just kind of feels like he's one of us, you know? I mean, the difference between Izzy and Mayweather is Izzy actually gets knockouts. Yes, sir, he does. People don't think that. He's he's skinny. He doesn't have power. That shit don't matter, man. He still knocks him out. By the way, he definitely has a lot more power than people think he does. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The range, the length that he has, right? It, it definitely adds to the force and the effect. But I think it, like, he's one of those guys, I think it is possible to defeat him even with a power puncher but these guys they come in and you can tell they're afraid of him right he is he packs a punch when he hits because there's the there's a reason romero and costa didn't come out of the gates jumping in and attacking him like they complain about how he was just outside being scared and stuff but they weren't going in all aggressive which i think would be the only way to get it just remember romero literally stood there he literally stood there and what was so funny is during the fight with costa costa was also just staying there for a second and then he was like doing all this like showboating like antics and stuff in the octagon and then izzy just literally stood there he like sized him up and he was like romero he literally called him that i was dying dude it's so funny (laughs) yeah yeah um, absolutely no what you're saying though a lot of these people you know have wrestling or jujitsu background and stuff and and they never use them and that's a big thing in the mma that um or in the ufc or in mma in general that people don't like they they don't use everything that's in their arsenal which is why people like gsp were so good you know or like habib and stuff habib like you know everybody hates him for being an average striker but the guy has his thing with with wrestling his striking isn't that bad either but he goes and he he plays his style and he does what he does and he's undefeated same thing with israel adesanya but then you have other fighters like yo romero who's like a a world-class wrestler i'm pretty sure he was an olympic wrestler and he didn't try to use it one time against him and i'm just like why like they they don't end up using these things that they have in their arsenals and it ends up uh they end up paying the price for it you know kudos to israel adesanya and habib right i mean habib habib is, is something else in my opinion i mean he's he's a fighter we've never seen before because he is true domination this man will make you do what he he will tell you what he's going to do and then he is going to do it for me i view that as complete domination in any sort of sport my dad would tell me stories about how larry bird would go and pretty much let teams know coming out of timeouts hey i'm going to be right there at the corner three spot send all of your guys i'm still going to drain this right in your face and he would go and do it Habib is, uh, that guy is true domination, but Israel Adesanya, kudos to him, right? Doesn't let anybody get into their game and let them do what they want to do. You know, I I actually do briefly want to mention Habib's fight, upcoming fight with uh, Justin Gagey on October 24th too, UFC 254. But before that, and before we move on from Israel uh, Adesanya and uh, Paulo Costa, I want to make sure that we hit Paulo Costa with our next segment, Ain't That a Female Dog. Bro, this man, Paulo Costa, I'm (laughs) telling you, when I said he was talking shit, I mean it. This guy, the reason I say ain't that a bit, ain't that a female dog, uh, was because after the fight, Israel Adesanya hit him with that that Call of Duty crouch on him, you know? Paulo Costa didn't know what happened, like, during the fight, but when he saw it after, he, like, made a video and he was like, eh, that's human trash. Yeah, he, that's what he did to me. I don't agree with that. Now I'm focused. I need to rematch. The people want it. First of all, no, they don't. You got shat on, okay? You just stood there and you got absolutely dismantled. But on top of that, you reap what you sow, dude. Like, it was so funny because all the other fighters were like, dude, stop. Like, it's so unsightly. Before the fight, I'm not talking about not only was he talking shit about Izzy, 
He literally made a skit with people in his camp. It was a guy who was uh, like uh, the same like skin complexion as as Adesanya, and he was like kind of tallish and lanky. You, he never showed his face, but he just showed this guy running around the cage away from Costa during the entire time in this skit. And it was like super poor acting and stuff. And at the end of the skit, like Costa won, obviously, but it was so bad, dude. And, and Adesanya calls him out on Twitter after, and he like links that skit on it. And he was just like, you know, maybe if you focused on preparing for the fight more than you did on your terrible acting skills you might have had a better chance against me but you still would have lost anyway i was like oh my god man this this dude just got checked bro so bad but yeah i did like i said after this i wanted to talk just briefly preview habib versus justin gagey ufc 254 i just i guess i kind of want to ask you guys i have my own opinions on what's going to happen in the fight you guys probably already know what i'm going to say but what do you guys what what do you guys see happening on, on saturday the 24th you know, it's pretty simple. It's like the Lakers heat. One team is obviously better than the other. And in this case, one player is obviously or one fighter, I should say, is better than the other. I don't see Habib losing. I don't see him honestly ever losing unless there's some sort of external factor going on. It was just too dominant. Are you talking like external factors, internal factors? I'm talking like internal factors, <laughs> external factors. But yo, I mean, that's all I got to say, dude. I don't see Habib ever losing. He's so dominant. The dude wrestles bears. The dude like swims in Arctic water to to train. Like he he's he's so dope. And trains in the That's mountains my- where the oxygen is thinner. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like it's like the mile high effect when teams play Denver normally, but like he does that anyway just for fun. He's so dope man like honestly i feel like he's one of the people that really got me into ufc i'm not gonna act like i'm an expert at it i don't keep up with it as much as i keep up with baseball basketball football but habib is my favorite fighter and just a pleasure to watch him it's it's watching greatness you're watching a legend in the making and it's it's so dope I'd say I'd go as far as say you're watching a legend you know i mean the, the things he's done to really so many fighters i mean just Virtually taking Conor McGregor out of the picture completely after being the, you know, figurehead for UFC and the way he does it. It's the way he wins. You know what I mean? It's not the fact that he's undefeated. It's the way he does it. That's why for me, he's in a he's in a place of his own among all the fighters out there. It's true domination. You, It's like you're going in the ring against a bear. You are getting it's not a fight. It, it's a mauling. He is mauling you. He will literally bring you to the ground. You can't go anywhere. You cannot go anywhere. He somehow figures out a way to manipulate his weight, right, to keep you smothered down and as he just continues ground and pounding you. And you have nothing that you can do. It is absolute domination and a spectacle to see on a I mean, there are times I'm watching and obviously we're huge heavy fans and we're, I'm, I'm watching and I feel like I've, I was actually the first one really to get into uh, MMA and UFC out, out of the, the three of us, but I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, oh man, I feel bad for the other guy. Like this, this needs to get called. Like there needs to be a TKO right now. This, this other guy's literally dying right now. I think, it, I don't remember who he was fighting. He literally apologized to him. He was, he was talking was to his Bar- corner. Barbosa, I think? Maybe? Yeah, it was, Bar- was it, uh. I think, I think it was Barbosa. I think it was Barbosa. He's literally telling his corner, like, call, call the fight. Just call the fight. He's literally dying. And my man just keeps at it. It's, it's something to see. Yeah, I mean, look, thing is, I'm not going to sleep on Justin Gagey. No, I'm not giving him a chance to win the fight because I know better than to, to go against Habib. And he also is one of my favorite fighters along with Izzy. But Justin Gagey's not bad, man. Justin Gagey's really good. Okay, like he's really good. Like he he beat Tony Ferguson very very convincingly. I mean he TKO'd him, and he, the guy has power. The guy has punches, and he comes at his uh, you know at people, and he just swings away. That he has chin and he has heart. Like he 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 comes at you. He does not stop coming at you, and he swings hard. The only thing about it is just. 
the the reason why people I feel like are, are giving him somewhat slight of a chance is because he is also like an all-American collegiate wrestler or he was and so people are like you know Habib's never really went against a guy who's been able to or who's had like this pedigree of uh, wrestling and these wrestling credentials and he's never had to go against a guy who might be able to stop the takedown and that really is all Justin Gagey can do okay like the, if he has any inkling of, of chance of victory it is if he could stop the takedown but the thing is it's it's just how do we know if he's able to or not no one in the lightweight division really wrestles other than Habib at least not at that level, uh, and he's never had to use it, and he just strikes. Uh, Justin Gaethje himself doesn't actually use his wrestling. So it really just comes down to, is he going to be able to stop Habib's uh, ability to take you down? I don't think so, man. Habib, like, this guy has unlimited amounts of energy. You literally talked about his training in Arctic waters, in mountains, against bears. And on top of that, he's always coming at you and smothering you. Uh, it's just... Habib, he doesn't. I'll answer that for you. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's undefeated, Gaethje. undisputed for a reason. Gaethje has no chance, okay? Can the I two ask, people can that... Can I ask a question? Can I ask absolutely, a question? Absolutely, absolutely. Go ahead. Khabib's weakness, if he really has a weakness, is striking, right? And if it gets into that type of match, that's where Khabib is, you know, kind of at a disadvantage. Is Gaethje good enough as a striker? Because I know we're talking about, like, his wrestling abilities and all that, but, like, does he have the striking capability? Because that was supposed to be, like, what McGregor's chance was, right? Is, like, McGregor's an amazing striker. And obviously we saw how that turned out. But is Gagey better? Because that, to me, would be the only chance that he really has. I think McGregor is a more complete striker. He's, I feel like he's more precise with it, and he, he uses distance and range a lot more. Gagey is, is like a Mike Tyson type, you know? He gets up in your grill. He's good, though, man. I mean, he's, he's really not anything to, to sleep on. Like, he's knocked out or TKO'd pretty much all of his opponents. And he's known as the most violent guy in the UFC for a reason. Um, but he gets up in your grill. Like, he does that that EPO style of fighting, you know? The thing is, just, like, it's not him who's going to dictate the pace of the fight. It never has been the, the opponent that has dictated the pace of the fight against Habib. The same shit just happened with Dustin Poirier when they fought in Abu Dhabi after the Conor McGregor fight. He was the same. I'm not. I'm going to give Justin Gaethje a better shot because I think he's better than Dustin Poirier. But Dustin Poirier was the same type of, this guy's a power puncher, this guy's a great striker, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Habib doesn't let you play at your pace. And the thing is, Habib... People say, oh, his striking's not good, his striking is this. Bro, his striking is not bad by any means. Remember, he t- he hit Conor McGregor with that hook. And it's not because he's not good at striking or he's lucky or something. It's because there's the threat of taking you down that he was, he it was a feint. He fainted downwards that he was going to take him down. And that's what allowed him to hook on the top. And, and it caught Conor McGregor unawares. Uh, I know you like that. Oh, I did, I did. But, and, and Habib also has a very, like, awkward style of striking. Like, he, he doesn't move around, like, conventionally, you know? And so it, that also throws people off. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it, it's going to get into a striking match. That's that's the only thing. I don't think it's going to come down to striking because Habib doesn't let anybody set the pace besides himself. Yeah, I'll make this frank. Not encouraging <laughs> gambling. You. I'm yeah. not encouraging gambling. By any, yeah, really, I do have to make this concise because I feel like we've talked a lot about it. But no means, by no means, am I encouraging gambling. But if you're going to gamble on this fight, go Habib, 100%. I will endorse it even. Gaethje has no chance of winning this. Okay, Gaethje's 22-2. and two. Out of the two people he's lost to, and Armand, I actually have to disagree with you. He lost to Dustin Poirier, actually, and Eddie Alvarez. So I do think Dustin Poirier is a better fighter than him, and I actually think the fight will probably even turn out worse than it did for Dustin Poirier. Like I said, he also lost to Eddie Alvarez, and I can take the words right out of his mouth. Eddie Alvarez specifically said that Gaethje just does not have the tools. He is not capable of beating Khabib. Khabib will come out with his A game. To be honest, the man can come out with his C game, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It never has. You can't beat him. Unbeatable. 
to everyone listening, if you don't know UFC, if you know UFC, just know Khabib about to take that dub. Yes, sir. And by the way, I'm not endorsing your your gambling needs for the record. I frankly am broke and can't back you up there. Do we need to quote the gambling hotline for anyone who might be an addict? <laughs> yeah, we might have to actually. So that's or? that's one that's one eight hundred six six two help. Just in yeah. case you guys need it. One eight hundred six six two help. <laughs> So we're really putting the sports and sports and animes right now, talking about UFC, talking about NFL. But let's go back to our first topic, those things that we usually talk about, basketball. The playoffs are still going on. We're in the finals right now. Currently, uh, it's October 4th, 2020. The Lakers are up 2-0. But before we get to the Lakers and Heat, let's talk about the Celtics and the Heat. Because quite frankly, we didn't really expect the Heat to be in, in the finals. Um, but yo, Abdus Salam Omar, I know you guys predicted the Celtics to be in the finals. What the hell happened? Because I think as much of it is a Heat win, I think it's a Celtics collapse as well. Yes, yes. I think the Heat should be very proud of where they are. It's amazing what they've been able to accomplish this year, uh, especially going virtually, you know, speeding up their process and development and seeing how these young guys have turned out and even older players have turned out. But uh, I would I would lean much more on the Celtics collapse. Omar and I, we both predicted that the Celtics would win this series. And they literally let no one down aside from Boston, right? The city of Boston and themselves down. Because this is this is becoming a constant theme, losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, these, these so-called rising stars have not risen. Like, they're just there. They're, they've almost plateaued at where they are. And obviously, we have the... Who need a hero? <laughs> yeah, you need a hero. Like, hero <laughs> went <laughs> off. <Like> Grand Zero. <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. Hero went off. The Heat, Jimmy High Butler, hero obviously. Academia. <laughs> Boku no Hero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my man pulled through, right? But I think more than anything, this is on the Celtics here. Omar, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I had them winning too, and I, I expected a lot better things from them. But it just seemed like they just didn't look like they glue well together, man. I don't know, like. I think there are a couple things. One thing, I think there's, uh, you know, one thing I want to mention, two things. Gordon Hayward was just a snafu. Like, this this guy didn't end up working out. It was really unfortunate when they got him. He, they, he was such a good player. But obviously the injury, really bad injury happened. And since then, he, first of all, hasn't even been able to play much. But second of all, he hasn't been the same player that he was before while he was on the Jazz. And then I don't think that Tatum is good enough to be the primary scorer on a team yet. I think the NBA's really trying, actually trying to push a narrative, and, and the media is trying to groom him into being a superstar too early. Definitely pre-jacking it, and he he's just not ready for that, in my opinion. I don't think he's good enough to be to lead the team. I mean, imagine like imagine if the Celtics were up against the Lakers in the finals, Tatum versus LeBron, bro. What? He's such a worse player, you know. And they, so I don't, I don't mean, out. oh, go ahead, Z, go ahead. <laughs> we both probably are about to say something completely different, but I was going to say, I'm not trying to cut anyone off, but I'm disagreeing right now with Tate, these Tatum takes and the Hayward stuff, but I want you to continue and then I'll say what I have to say. Okay. Yeah, it's, I, fine. it's fine. I was, I was going to just interject on what I was saying, Tatum versus LeBron. We had a few years back, it was the entire team against LeBron and they still couldn't manage to win that scenario. So yeah, yeah I mean, I'm with you on that. And Tatum really is the primary scorer on that team. I mean, they got Kemba Walker, and, and they thought, you know, he was going to be some sort of replacement for Kyrie Irving. 
I mean, yeah, he did better than Kyrie. Kyrie was ass on that team because, you know, Kyrie's all out here being a flat, being a flat earther and uh, ruining locker rooms. But um, he's, he's what we call a thinker. Yeah, definitely, definitely. God oh, God. Wow, this is, this is uh, going to open up so many doors. Let's, let's, not, let's not go there. Um, but Kemba Walker himself, it, like, he definitely did not have the production that they needed him to have either. And, you know, I feel bad for guys like Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown who put their all out there. Jalen Brown, honestly, to me, looked like the best player on that team, along with Marcus Smart. Yeah, Tatum, look, Tatum did get his points. He did get his points during the games. But I think within the last two games, dude, within the first half, he was like, I remember the first, that one game, he ended up scoring like 30. I mean, yeah, he, he turned up in the second half, but like, he was like 0 for 12 or something, dude. Like within the first half, I don't remember exactly, but he uh, didn't he was, score he a was, single field goal. I think he was 0 for 6. One. I think he was 0 for 6, but he uh, also had 7 assists. 6, 0 for 7. I might have said, uh, it was Double. a key. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was a key he game, though. It was a key game, like the entire. Yeah, but he was time. passing. He was passing. I think, like, uh, I think real quick. I think the problem with Tatum is, I think he has superstar talent. I think he has the potential to be a superstar. I agree that the media is prejacking it. He's not a superstar yet, but the dude can flat out score. And I think the problem is the Celtics are asking him to be, you know, a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant, like a point forward, and. That's never been his role, right? His role's always been to to get buckets, and the dude is a walking bucket. Um, well, no, I know he's no, sorry. I, I don't I don't mean to cut you off, but they're not really asking him to do that. They have Kemba Walker and, and Marcus Smart who are able to lead the and, and even Gordon Hayward that's able to lead the offense. He's not being asked to lead the offense. Well, what do you think the difference is between Kyrie and Kemba? The difference is like Kyrie when he was on the Celtics, he wanted to be the face of the franchise, even though the Celtics wanted Tatum to be the face of the franchise, and Kemba's kind of like. All right, cool. Like I'm just happy to be here because I'm not on the Hornets anymore. But that's not that doesn't mean that has nothing to do with the actual play of the game. Like he's not they don't need him to be a point forward to be successful. No, actually, but what that's, I'm that's I that's actually exactly what they they don't need. What they need, I don't know if you remember inside the NBA like when they were analyzing the game and stuff. Uh they were saying once you stop Kemba Walker, you see the team falls apart. And that actually like is exactly what happens. If you prevent Kemba Walker from scoring and from being able to facilitate then their that team ends up like they, they don't end up shut down really as well. No, as but actually should. you just you just said my point. They want him to be a point forward because of that. Because there's no one else on the team that can facilitate other than Kemba Walker. Right? And Gordon Hayward Marcus, off the yeah, bench. Marcus Smart Gordon Hayward, bro. Yeah, I was gonna say Gordon Hayward off the bench, but obviously with the injuries and Marcus Smart Marcus Smart's more of a scrappy defender and, and he can hit some threes, but uh you know his actual like facilitating talents are probably average. Um, Loki, yeah, like, this is Terry Rozier, but that's a different story altogether. I agree with that. But I think, you know, Gordon Hayward, if anything, was supposed to fulfill that role. And like I said, that's why that situation was just unfortunate. Like, it didn't end up working out because he was injured all the time. Yeah. But when Hayward was healthy, coming off the bench, he really did make an impact, even, like, in the bubble. I mean, he was starting. Like, he he was starting in those final games, like, against the Heat, so... Yeah, he, he was. He was. He playing, played a lot of minutes. Yeah, he was playing a lot of minutes. I kind of am in the middle between both what Abdaziz and Omar are saying, right? I think the team needed someone to step up, right, and be like a lead facilitator or really just to get a basket when they needed it. And I don't think anyone on the team is able to do that. And we saw it happen. I mean, I feel like the Celtics felt like Kyrie would have been that guy. Obviously, he left. They, I think they more wishfully thought Kemba would be that guy. Not to say... I love Kemba Walker for the record. I mean, I've I followed him since he came actually when he was with UConn. The clutch shots that he's made in his in his time in the NBA and in college are awesome. 
But I think there is a level where he just can't eclipse beyond. And I think uh, Tatum isn't able to do that. I don't think, you know, Jalen Brown is for sure. Marcus Smart. I think with Marcus Smart, it's a lot more of, you know, a scrappy, really, he he really works hard. But in terms of actual talent, it's not there. If you need a bucket, you won't get it with him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he might get on it, go on a tear, right? He might have a game where he goes goes five for five or six six for six from the three point line, but then he's gonna have those games where he goes, you know, three for fourteen from the field, only scoring twelve points, right? Yeah, I mean, and overall, is his field goal and three point field goal percentage are not high. Yeah, and the problem is right that I noticed that the Celtics, even uh, Jalen Brown and him, got into an argument. I think in the locker room after Game Four or something, Game Five maybe, but uh, I think it was it was yeah maybe Game Three or Game Four, but. Like Jalen Brown is virtually yelling at Marcus Smart in terms of shot selection. Marcus Smart is yelling at Jalen Brown and really the rest of the team for not putting in, not wanting it enough. And so I think everyone, I just don't think they mesh well, right? I think it's been a project. They've, they've gotten to how far they can get to, but I've always said, it. I said it since the beginning, the Celtics are a team that you know what you're going to get out of them. They will beat teams that they are better than for the most part. I think they had more talent than the Heat, I think. But they won't be able to overcome certain obstacles. And they've shown that. I mean, they've yet to make it to the finals with this squad. And I don't think anything will change. So then other than banking on Tatum becoming a superstar, what can they do differently to actually reach the finals? I don't think they need to restructure completely, honestly. I think their core is good. I really do. Kemba, Tatum, Brown, and I don't know about Hayward. I think maybe trading... I don't know. I don't even know how much trade value he really has at this point. I think all they could do is hope for him to maybe, you know, somehow get a little bit of his uh, former self. But well, I think his contract um, is his contract is up, isn't it? Or does he have another year left? I think he has like an opt in or something. Yeah, he has an opt in uh, and he can enter the free agency in 2021. But I'm pretty sure he's going to opt in to play with the Celtics again for this year. But really, they just need to get a guy that can be a true facilitator. I, I don't know what, that, what that's going to be or who's that, who that's going to be or what that's going to look like. But to me, I think Kemba Walker is more of a scoring guard than a facilitating guard. That's not to say he doesn't get assists and get his teammates involved. He does. But I mean, I think it was clear to see that he can be stopped. And when that happens, the offense kind of crumbles. But on top of that, they're just not that deep, bro. They need more three-point shooters surrounding them. And I think they need more size in the paint or more guys that are able to defend the paint because, you know, as good as Tice was, he's, I mean, think about going against the best teams, you know, Tice versus Anthony Davis versus Dwight Howard or, or JaVale McGee, like he'd get bodied. So I think they might need a little bit more of that, but certainly they need more three point shooters. I think, I feel like they need, yeah, they need to restructure for sure. They definitely need more depth, but I think. Whether they want to or not, they are going to lose players pretty soon, right? Jason Tatum's going to want a big deal. Jalen Brown will want a big deal. Marcus Smart will want a big deal. Kemba Walker is going to want, you know, money. They they have a lot of guys that are on the quote-unquote rise, and they're going to be asking for a lot of money. And I think they're going to, they're, you know, their their shelf life is running out. So I just, I don't really see a positive trajectory for the Celtics. I, I think we've seen the best that they have to offer. Um, and, and unless, you know, they virtually reshape their team, I don't see them coming up on the rise anytime soon. Yeah. Jalen Brown's extension is about to kick in next year, right? He's going to go from making six and a half mil to almost 23 mil and then 24, 26, 28 
Tatum hasn't gotten his big deal yet, right? His contract is his rookie contract, I think, is gonna run out next year. I think this is his last year. Uh, I mean, Kemba's making like 30 plus mil. Hayward, if he opts in, is gonna be making 34 mil. To to Abdul Saddam's point, yeah, they're they're running. I'm looking at their cap space right now, and yeah, they're running out of time with this core, and they need they need better bench players. They need to hit on some of these draft picks. Because they need some better bench players and better depth, uh, like Abdus Salam and Omar were saying, guys that need to hit threes. I think Grant Williams was a good pick for them. I really do. He made some good plays in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and he really looked like their best bench big, like coming off the bench. So who do we feel is to blame for all of this? Armut, what do you think? I think it was just a lack of execution on the players' part. And, I mean, you might look at Brad Stevens and say, this might have been on him too, and even you might look even higher than that and say Danny Ainge, uh, the the guys that you know they got just didn't end up working out. But I think, like you said, on paper and like we said, the reason why we had the Celtics win, winning the series anyways because they did have the talent to at the very least make the NBA Finals out of the East this year. Which, by the way, next year when KD and Kyrie are coming back, good luck making it out of the East over them. So at the very least this year their talent should have been able to surpass the rest of the teams in the East, especially when the Heat removed the Bucks, you know, out of your way. And and they were able to beat the Raptors, who are the obviously the previous title holders. But I think it was just a lack of execution on the players' part, and, and I think the coach has some part to blame with that too, not being able to get these guys to be able to stick together and, and play their best basketball on, on the biggest stage. It's just unfortunate the way it ended up happening. But, yeah, I think like what Marcus Smart was kind of saying in that, you know, scuffle that he had with Jalen Brown, like, I just don't think they wanted it enough. It's kind of funny that the theme um, in the NBA seems to be that a lot of teams are lacking true facilitators when there's so many great point guards in the league now. Yeah, J. Cole said it best, man. All my boys shoot first, like they never played the point more two guards. So he, he let them know. That's how the uh, uh, people are playing these days, man. Yeah, yeah. And I can't blame the players on that. I mean, I feel like it's just... I feel like everyone is expected now, right, especially with the new age of basketball, which <laughs> kudos to my boy, Steph Curry. But he really changed the game, you know, and I think a lot of a lot of players are now starting to strive for being able to hit shots from all over the court. May, might be adding a lot of pressure to point guards, you know, sort of uh, maybe some that are incapable of being able to score all around. They feel like they, you know, but they're not relying on their passing. It kind of creates confusion. I feel like for a lot of these players and uh, ultimately, but going back on what my question was, I, I personally feel like it's Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge had a perfect situation and I guess he created the situation by getting players like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Ro- Rozier back then. And, you know, when you look at, when you hear that cap space, obviously it sucks with the whole injury, but Gordon Hayward's making that much money. Kemba Walker is making that much money and you're not able to in such for the past decade such a weak eastern conference you are not able to once make it to the finals i just i feel like it's it's, that's a loss and you know what to bring this all full circle because i think we should wrap this up this is what i was talking about with the fact that the team wanted jason tatum to be the point forward because they don't have facilitators other than kemba other than gordon hayward other than marcus smart who you know, debatable on how good he actually is. I know Jalen Brown's got a little bit of playmaking in him. But I think nowadays, like, if you look at, let's look at the Heat and the Lakers, right, the teams that are in the finals. What kind of differentiates them between 
some of these other teams that didn't make it. And it's the fact that their superstars are also amazing passers. Jimmy Butler leads his team in assists. LeBron James led the league in assists. And when you have guys like that, they take pressure off the point guard and allow the point guard to score. Obviously, like in the Lakers case, that's not really it. But with the Heat, I mean, Goran Dragic was the leading scorer for the team before he, he got injured. You have Tyler Hero coming off the bench or starting even. He started, I think, last game. And he is a guard that can focus on scoring. Kendrick Nunn can focus on scoring. Why? Because Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are facilitating. And when you have multiple facilitators like that on the court at the same time, especially with how the point guard position has changed, it makes things a lot easier. And this is what the Clippers' weakness was. This is what the Celtics' weakness is. And they need to find someone that can facilitate or they need one of their guys to step up and become a facilitator. Otherwise, I don't think they're going to be able to make that next step. So Omar, I just want to say that I think you did a beautiful job illustrating the change in the nature of the point guards and how they're more like two guards now. And I think an exemplary example of that is Kyrie Irving, ex-Celtic. Oh, oh yes. And you know what? I'm just going to flat out say it. I think he needs a bet check. Oh, absolutely. I mean, bet check. I mean, I'm, I'm checking him. I'm checking him right now. Bet check. him. We're going to check him real quick. He's, he's checked, yeah. Yeah, we're going to check him real quick. On what he said earlier this week about, well, two things. One, what he said about having, or should I say, not having a true head coach. So this guy and KD get the head coach that they want, Steve Nash, and then have the audacity to say, yeah, I don't think we're really going to have a head coach this year. Like, not an actual head coach. We're going to have... Uh, maybe some games KD is going to be the head coach. Some days I'm going to be the head coach. What does that even mean? KD completely understanding what he's saying is like, yeah, I think some days Jack Vaughn will be the head coach. <laughs> By the way, Jack Vaughn has Bro. been the acting head coach ever since they got um, their old head coach fired. I think Kenny Atkinson, who did, by the way, a wonderful job with the Nets last year. So that's just one thing. I, that's just one thing we got to check him on because what the hell does that even mean? Like, can someone explain that to me? Look, this is the reason why Kyrie is a cancer to each locker room he steps into. It's because of shit like this. Before Steve Nash even enters or they start a season where this guy starts coaching, he's talking about, yeah, man, I really just don't think we really have a head coach. Or, you know, maybe it's, you know what? Maybe it's not his fault. Maybe it's because Kyrie was with Tyron Lue. Maybe it's because of that. <laughs> He's just been with LeBron the entire time, and he's like, yeah, honestly, really the head coach. maybe it's because of that, because you definitely know some games LeBron was the coach. Most games LeBron was the coach when he was playing with that. And obviously, he's insecure about LeBron with the following statements that you're going to mention as well, but maybe it's because of that. I mean, yeah, he was with Brad Stevens, but obviously things didn't work out there, probably because some games Jalen Brown wasn't the coach. You know, maybe that was the. Kyrie wanted to be the coach, and Brad Stevens was like, "No, no, I'm, I'm actually a head coach." Bro, I, Kyrie, look, he, I'm sure he has some great ideas, bro. <laughs> Flat Earth, you know, he's to get philosophy, <laughs> I something. I, I was just saying, man, like some games, I'm sure he wanted to be the coach, and Brad Stevens didn't allow him to. Look, man, I'm not gonna knock Kyrie, the player. Obviously, an awesome player, awesome guy off the court too, with the the charitable donations that he makes and. Him, he's really an activist for a lot of things. I, yeah, I do want charitable to make donations to Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that even come from? But, <laughs> he's just dumb as hell, bro. Seems like that's how we do, though. <laughs> he's 
have a flat earther rapture. He believes in Scientology. Him and Tom. I honestly, no, I feel bad, dude. Kyrie's under a microscope with the media. I mean, yeah, he says some dumb stuff, but like he put himself in that position. He does. He does. He does. He does. But I also, I also think the guy's misunderstood. You know, sometimes if you watch the boys, sometimes I feel like he's the deep. You know, like (laughs) I know what you know what I mean. Like sometimes it's just you feel bad. Maybe this guy's just misunderstood. You know, maybe just like the deep, he put himself in that position. And no, he did. He definitely did. I'm not, I'm not giving. It's just. It, a lot of people are like, you know, he thinks of himself as an intelligent guy. Honestly, I've heard him speak. He actually is an intelligent guy. He sometimes, does speak very eloquently. Sometimes his intelligence is just directed in the wrong avenues. Yeah, Z, go ahead and finish. What was that second part that Kyrie said? Because I know there's some other stuff. Yeah, I'm, still, I'm still laughing at this dude being the deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, bro. gosh. I'm, I'm telling you, I didn't think about that, by the way, either. Yeah, just, that was good. That was good. I, I thought yeah. it, and I said it, you know? <laughs> I thought it, and I said it. Oh, <laughs> words. All right, so the second thing that I wanted to mention was what he said about KD. And this is meant to be a compliment about KD, but really, really, it's just a shot at LeBron and Jason Tatum and every other player that he's been with. And it's the fact that, let me let me pull up the quote right here. What he says is, I felt like I was the best option on every team I've played for down the stretch. This is the first time in my career where I can look down and be like, that mother bleep can make that shot too. Which why I don't know why I bleeped that because this is an explicit podcast. So that motherfucker can make that shot too. <laughs> it's wise words from a decent man. It is wise words from a decent man. But <laughs> yeah, dude, you, look, this dude can shoot. All right, like no one is denying that. And yes, he's a better he was a better shooter than LeBron when he played with LeBron, but like LeBron, I'm pretty sure has made more game-winning shots than just about anyone in the history of the NBA, right? Like he's up there with Kobe and Jordan. So to say that like, yo, down the stretch, I feel like I'm the guy that can, you know, the only guy that can make a shot down the stretch. Like come on, man. Like I get it KD can shoot the the lights out. But to say that about LeBron, there's been jokes on the internet where it's like, how can you disrespect Kevin Love like that? But it's like, <laughs> but it's like, oh my gosh, Kyrie, you need to get checked, bro. He he needs to check his privilege on this one. Dude, I just the funniest thing is how exposed he's gotten on national media about this because he said that statement right about how he feels like he was always the best option, and they literally crunched the numbers and ran the statistics about the game-winning drives and what their field goals were in those situations. And LeBron's are so much better. Like, and there's a significant number. And of course, as Max Kellerman says, also, I hate it whenever he says this, you know, statistics are records of events that happened. Stop, please. Just, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. That was getting off topic. But regardless, they literally ran the stats on it and he was just flat out wrong. But here's the thing, like, if, if you feel that way, like, I don't blame you. Great. Like, you feel that way, you know, honestly, like. If it comes to, like, a last-second shot to everything, I also don't really trust LeBron with it. I, I, I'm not saying LeBron's not, you know, doesn't have the stats with it, but, like, when it comes to last-second shots, I would want Kobe over LeBron or Jordan over LeBron or something. Kyrie, by the way, gave them that championship, you know, against the Warriors uh, in, like, the last minute. You can feel that way, even if it's inaccurate, but he didn't own up to it either. He's just like, stop, man. You can't make this about brother-to-brother. Brother. Don't buy into the false narratives, bro. <laughs> You bought into the flat earth. All right. Bro, Don't talk to us the false about false narratives. He's creating the false narratives. It's like, why are you guys believing this type of stuff? Like, he's the author of this book. 
Yeah, I feel like Kyrie's the type of guy, honestly, probably just and we, I feel like we we know a lot of people that are like this. I have my moments. The man sometimes, especially in front of a microphone, just doesn't have a filter. So I can understand what Kyrie is saying. Hold me off as an unpopular opinion. It's a feeling, and it's the eye test. Judging from what I have seen, if LeBron is forced to take an outside shot, 100% you'd rather have Kyrie take the shot over him. You know, it's, I mean, and, you know, I was talking, I was talking about Aziz about this earlier, right? LeBron, LeBron better have the most game-winning shots. He better end his career with the most shots taken. He better end oh, his yeah. career with the most shots made. He better end it's his career volume. with so many more. It's volume. LeBron is volume. LeBron is, it's amazing he's done it for as long as he has. So if you want to, you know, congratulate him on longevity, right, and being able to do something so cons- or consistently for so long, which is generally how we define greatness, you know, then by all means, sure, go right on ahead. But, right, in terms of having that, if being forced to shoot that shot down the stretch, we saw it against the Warriors that time. Um, Kyrie was the one that ended up hitting that game winner. So I just feel like, you know, down the stretch, I can understand what he means. And Kevin Durant has proven himself to be that guy that can hit it down the stretch as well in big games. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember recently with the th- with the Warriors against uh, LeBron at home, really just eyeing him right in his face. He had another a lot of big threes with the Thunder. So I can, I can see what he's saying. I get what he's saying. I just don't think he should have said it. That's really what it comes down to. Honestly, I mean, there's plenty of other ways to compliment KD. Honestly, shame on KD for not editing that out of the podcast. Like when you get into when you're talking with each other in that type of setting, like, you know, like it was like a safe space for them. They really were just being like very candid and and very honest about like what they were feeling and stuff like that. Because, they, you know, that's that's the type of environment that they were getting, which also is the type of content that they were trying to give out. Right. But if you know something like this is going to make the headlines, and by the way, it has literally become all every sports talk show has been talking about, then like, you know better, dude, just remove that from the episode or something. I don't know. Like you knew this was going to happen. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Hey, well, let's yo, be I was going to say, but yo, you know, any marketing is good marketing at the end of the day. Right. Uh, any publicity is good publicity. That's what I meant to say. And now, if you did not know that Kevin Durant had a podcast, which I'm going to be honest, I did not know until now. And that works. Now I know that Kevin Durant has a podcast. And I like Kevin Durant. So I might go listen to it at some point. Yeah. And I was actually just about to say the same exact thing as he's uh, just said. And just keeping in mind that these guys run on ego, right? Everything is about inflating their own egos. And you've got a guy like Kevin Durant. Hopefully, <laughs> this will get our podcast popular if it isn't already. <laughs> but. Kevin Durant's the most insecure star or athlete even out there, right? With all his burner accounts and stuff like that. That's probably just a general opinion at this point. But um, I yeah, believe he's so. just misunderstood. I think he's just misunderstood. Of course you do. Of course you do. So does his therapist. But look, at the end of the day, it's it been, is what it is. I'm sure that's how him and Kyrie bond, by the way. And that has been the Betch Check, brought to you by the ETCs with Kevin Durant. <laughs> All right, so speaking about LeBron and the Los Angeles Lakers doing something that Kyrie hasn't done since he's been with LeBron, and that's the finals and making it to the finals. Now, we're not going to talk too much about this right now, the Lakers and Heat series. We're going to touch on that more probably in the next sports episode that we do. But for now, let's talk about the Lakers and the Nuggets in that series. And I kind of want to start things off and say, are the Nuggets for real, guys? 
Yeah, so personally, I think uh, that the Nuggets are a legitimate team. I really do. Now, have we seen how far they'll make it in the near future? Yes, I do believe that. I don't think they're making it beyond the Western Conference Finals. I actually think once teams like the Warriors get back on their feet, I don't even think they'll be making it to the Western Conference Finals anytime soon. But they have proven themselves. I think Jamal Murray has proven himself. Nikola Jokic has put the league on notice virtually for being that dominant center that he is and competing against Anthony Davis as being one of the best, if not the best. So there's something that we I always jump on this and I harp the referees. I think especially looking at some of these you know games and the free throw differentials, I definitely think you know the, the Lakers specifically in Game Four. I don't know. I feel like the Nuggets got got a game stolen from them. I mean, Armin, what do you think? Yeah, I, Nuggets are a legit team. I think they have the pieces that they need to be able to ascend. And I really do believe that within the next couple of years, they should be able to win a ship. And if they don't, it would be kind of how the Thunder were back in the day with KD, Russ, and James Harden. Because they really have these guys, man. Jamal Murray, when it comes to playoffs, this guy is something else. Nikola Jokic is the same way, and they already play at a high level during the regular season, but they just pump it up to a different type of production when it comes to the postseason. The only problem with them, man, is that they rely too heavily on that Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic pick and roll. And yeah, it is effective, don't get me wrong, but it can't be what you're going to live or die by because they tried to do that against the Lakers and they were exposed for it because they would be able to plug up the paint with these big guys, or you would be able to get Jokic into foul trouble. And once you get Jokic into foul trouble, how are they going to be able to run that? You're going to run it with Plumlee? Yeah, I think not. And so then it relies on other guys to be able to hit open threes and do more. And Michael Porter Jr. is only going to get better. So that'll be kind of like a saving grace for them if he's able to to develop and improve to the level that they need him to. But Gary Harris maybe gets a little bit better at shooting threes. But already, I mean, he's, he's a talented defender. You've got Paul Millsap with the veteran play on top of his ability to score. These guys are a deep team. They are a complete team. And once they're just able to have some other guys be able to put it in the basket more consistently, like Michael Porter, also Michael Porter Jr. needs to work on that defense a little bit because he's an absolute liability on it on the defensive end. But I do think that they have what it takes to be able to to win a ship later on. I think I have the same opinion that the rest of you guys do, where I do think that Nuggets are for real. I've stated previous episodes of the podcast, I am a big Nuggets supporter. I'm a big fan of their team. I do agree that they need a true third option on offense. Can that be Michael Porter Jr.? Maybe if he's not a walking turnstile on defense, that could be him. Because right now, like Armour just said, he's a liability. A walking turnstile? (laughs) Bro, just, uh, you know, words. (laughs) Nouns. Nouns, adjectives. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, as I was saying, I think that they need someone to be a true third option. Jeremy Grant is not it. He's a free agent anyway, and based on his post-game conversations with LeBron, he might be a Laker in the future because, as we know, the Lakers love their wing defenders. So that way, you know, low-key LeBron don't got to be doing all the defending for the wings. I really like the Nuggets. I really like Aumine, um, a.k.a. Jamal Murray, and I love Jokic. It's just going to be tough. Like I've just said, I mentioned, it's just going to be tough as the Western Conference constantly improves. The the Warriors are going to be back, and I'm not super high on Andrew Wiggins by any means, but Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, fully healthy, they're going to be doing some damage. And whoever their their first-round pick is, because they have the second pick in the draft, 
Some damn tampering, bro. And the Detroit Pistons <laughs> can't get a freaking pick. Bro, we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do a lottery episode at some point because this thing's bullshit. But anyway, the Warriors. Yeah, so uh, it's not just the Warriors that are improving too, right? The Mavericks are improving. The Suns are improving. There's so many teams that are on the up and up. It's going to be tough. The Nuggets have to find ways to stay afloat in this very difficult Western Conference. It's going to be, yeah, unless they get a third option, it's going to be difficult. I just wanted to mention about the Warriors. Believe me, Andrew Wiggins is a non-factor. You have Curry, you have Klay Thompson, you have the best shooting duo backcourt of all time back there. Once they're back and healthy, you don't need anybody else, man. These guys, remember, I mean, they had a very deep team, too, of course. But these guys won the ship without Kevin Durant. I just want to make that clear. People forget about that. And they would have won, too, if they didn't throw away that finals where, as you know, Stephen A. Smith says, Draymond Green going out for a game in the finals is a stimulus package. Don't um, mean to interject here. They also had the best record in league history. Just want to point that out. Yes, the winningest also, record of all time. And I'm going to interject as well. They also had the man that Max Kellerman would want shooting the last shot if the world was on the line in Andre Iguodala. <laughs> oh, this dude, Max, bro. Oh, my God. We can't roast him too hard, man. What if he wants to be on the podcast? Yo, Max Kellerman, if you ever want to be on this podcast, we'd be more than happy to have you. And we know that you're not, we know that you're not an idiot. We know you have to take the takes that you do because first take makes you take them. You're doing Stephen A. a solid. We know this. Don't worry. You were a great boxing commentator. We know that you got it in you. True Mesquine, man. But I wanted to mention as well, Jeremy Grant on the Nuggets, like everybody was riding him. Everybody was saying, you know, he was turning up, he was scoring points and stuff. And yeah, he was uh, towards the end of that series. But please, to the American people, do not be sold on Jeremy Grant, okay? He is a fraud. This man, well, <laughs> he's, I, he's like a, oh, God, he's like a Jordan Clarkson to me, you know, like, look, great defender, great defender. I, 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 I told you guys that I liked the Thunder. Uh, and I love the Thunder, and when he was on them, I liked him as a player too. But offensively, he is also a liability. Not on the defensive end, on the offensive end. Yeah, he started hitting some shots and stuff, and he started scoring some points at the end of this last series. But guys, he does not have an offensive kit. Like, they give him the ball. For some reason, the ball would always end up in his hands when Jamal Murray can't get a shot off or Jokic can't. It would always end up in Jeremy Grant's hands, and this guy would be happy to be able to shoot it. I mean, he doesn't have a mid-range. He really doesn't have a three-point shot. He doesn't have the handles to be able to dribble it in. Yeah, I mean, look, Jeremy Grant is a forward, right? The guy had a 40% field goal percentage and a 32% three-point percentage in the postseason, which during the regular season is higher, right? But, I mean, that that's those those stats, they're not bad. I mean, the field goal percentage, 40% is, is definitely not good. He, he's not an offense. Like, just don't think of him as a guy who's a two-way player like that. Just don't. He is a wing defender, like you said, Arvidez. He's a wing defender. Don't rely on him to score you points. That's all I wanted to say. I mean, he's just a Jay Crowder. He's a J- very much like Jay Crowder, right? He's no, a good wing defender. Threes, bro. No, no, but yeah. it's the same thing. I'm like more like a Nate shooter. Roberson. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, no. That's, I'm dead that's serious. Exactly. No, that's exactly who I'm he is. Nate serious. Roberson, guys. Andre Roberson. Andre Roberson. Wait, wait, wait. Did you guys hear? Nate? No, no, I said Andre Roberson. No, you said Nate. <laughs> no, I said Andre. What were you thinking? 
You said Nate, bro. You said no, Nate. No, bro. No, I said Andre. Oh we'll, we'll know for sure when this is recorded, like when we listen to the recording. <laughs> yeah, I said Nate. <laughs> I must say, I didn't, it went over my head, okay? I didn't, let's just make sure I didn't say Nate. I just knew he was talking about Roberson. That's all it is. Yes, yeah, I knew. Yeah, yeah, we were just thinking about the last name. In fact, in fact, it's Anthony Roberson. <laughs> all right, chill on that. Chill on that. But yeah, I would see him more as an Andre Roberson type of player. No, yeah, I mean Jay Crowder, uh, he he had a 36 percent three point shooting percentage. I mean that's that's pretty significant if you ask me. I'm just saying they're both streaky shooters that can play some good defense on wings. That's that's really it. True, true. So do are we all in consensus that the better team won in the Lakers Nuggets series? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the Lakers are a better team. I mean Anthony Davis and LeBron James, that's that's a damn good duo. And they're a deep team, and their length is something that you really don't see with other NBA teams. The Nuggets have a lot of talent, too, though. They really do. I, I, I'm I not going to say I thought that they were going to win the series. I didn't. I knew the Lakers were going to win. But I think they had a pretty close chance, man. If it wasn't for a like a, a historic shot by Anthony Davis for a buzzer beater three and for the officials to ruin game four in the fourth quarter— I mean, the Lake, the Nuggets might have been able to turn it, man. There's no way the Nuggets were going to win that series. But I do agree that game four, fourth quarter, those two foul calls on Jokic definitely ruined any chance that the Nuggets had of winning that game. Because honestly, the Nuggets had the momentum and Jokic was playing really well. He was just in foul trouble the entire time. There were two very egregious calls on Jokic for his fourth and fifth foul that I personally did not agree with. Yes, I know that there were some bad calls on the Lakers' end, too, but I don't think any were that bad. Like, that game-changing, that definitely took the wind out of their sails that game. Yeah, I would agree. I think game four. But in general, I mean, we always say the best team comes out and wins the third quarter. And every single game, the Nuggets came out and won the third quarter. Now, albeit they were down by so much, but it's not like the Lakers ever take their pedal off the gas. You know, they're always no, no, going full they definitely, throttle. No, no, no. They definitely take the foot off the gas every game. You could see that even in the first game against the Heat, which I know we're not talking about the Lakers' Heat right now. But I was going to say, the only reason why that score even ended up being respectable is because in the second half, they took their foot off the gas. Once they knew, like, they were up by, like, 30 at one point, And they were just like, yeah, we're chilling. We'll let Kendrick know. Yeah, but that was in the fourth quarter. So the Lakers will that was always... Starting, that was starting mid-third quarter that they just, they really took the foot off no, the gas. No. And they mid, did that mid, against the mid-third, Nuggets, too. Mid-third quarter, they were up 30. No, no, they definitely didn't take they definitely didn't take their foot off the pedal against the Nuggets. They knew in the third quarter the Nuggets always came out. They know it. They never gave them the third quarter. I guarantee you that. The Lakers tried hard in the third quarter. I think the Nuggets are just a second-half team. And then in the fourth quarter, it just it is what it is. Referees play a huge factor. That's just how it goes. I mean, the fourth – dude, game four, right? Let's say game two, you know, Anthony Davis doesn't hit that shot. And then game four, you know, you don't have these egregious calls. Because the Nuggets were the only ones that were actually able to convert baskets up until the very late fourth quarter when the game was already over. But – the Nuggets were the only ones. Jamal Murray was making insane shots to try Nene. to get those two points. Literally insane, formless shots, right? But then it just felt like with the Lakers, they had, I mean, because once again, in the bonus for so early along in the fourth quarter, they're able to just get bailout fouls. And it just takes them to the free throw line every single time. And it just sucked watching, you know? I'm not saying the Nuggets were a better team. I don't think they were. I don't think they would have beaten the Lakers. But you have to respect the fact that they were hot, coming off two, three, one deficits, coming back, beating teams. Well, I would say the Clippers were a better team than them. So beating teams that are better than them, I definitely think they just didn't even. It stinks because I just feel like they didn't get the opportunity. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I agree that I think that the Nuggets should have won one more game. And I do think that the refs definitely played a factor in game four. I don't think they would have ever won the series. I don't think they were the better team at all. And I don't think that the refs had anything to do with Plumlee playing garbage defense or the fact that they couldn't get a rebound. I also don't think that they had anything to do with the anime episode that was the last second shot for game two. Like real quick, like, can we just talk about how a whole anime episode could be dedicated to that shot? It would have started oh, off. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think Omar, Omar and Ali and I, we talked about this one day. Um, like I think like the next day after it happened, and we were just like, "Yo, a whole episode could be dedicated to this." Like from when he starts taking that shot to like the fact that he took that same shot against the Nets in the regular season and missed it, like literally the yeah, same step back. The three. So you have to throw in that flashback. You're also gonna throw in his childhood and playing in AAU and playing in college and winning the championship at Kentucky and always thinking like, yo, I'm going to make it to the NBA finals. The struggles that he had with the Pelicans and always losing early uh, in the playoffs or not even making it to the playoffs despite having talent around him. Finally getting to go to the Lakers, getting to play with the best player in the league. You know, you're probably going to have a flashback or not a flashback, but a cut to, you know, like uh, his girlfriend or his wife or something like yep, praying for him. Yeah, make it to the game, obviously, because it's in the bubble. Always going to, yeah, because yeah. they couldn't make it to the game. They're always going to have, like, some sort of good luck charm on them. You're going to even, like, see, like, it's going to be, like, while he's taking the shot, it's going to be the animation of, like, uh, him and then Kobe as a ghost on the side taking the exact same shot. <laughs> like, it's, like it's, it's like a stand in JoJo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even forget, I mean, they're going to go through and you're going to literally hear everyone else's thoughts while the shot oh, yeah. is going on. Don't forget oh, that absolutely. part, right? Like, oh, you know, for like a fact, fam- you know, like the family that's allowed in the bubble that like sit on the seats, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And then yeah, not yeah, even it, that, though, the players, you're going to you're going to yeah, Jared Dudley is going to be having some faults. It's going to be a guy like Jared Dudley, who is a veteran leader, but doesn't actually play much. Oh, absolutely. And then you're going to have LeBron like, oh, man, I don't think Anthony Davis is ready for this shot. You'll probably have Rondo like, hey, that boy, <laughs> he better make that shot because I pass it to him. You know, and then you're going to have the, you know, maybe Frank Vogel will be like, He'll probably think back to the Nets game, you know what I mean, and be like, this isn't the shot that we wanted, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then obviously you'll have the Nuggets that are probably like, well, this is the best shot that we could force, you know, and then obviously it goes in. Oh, they're going to be like, oh, we can't reach his hand. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, man. Bro, Anthony Davis right now is playing like an anime character, so it's only fitting. Yeah, he is. But watch this. Now that the NBA Finals MVP is such an important accolade, which, by the way, guys, has not been an important accolade throughout Kobe's career, right? Now that it's become such a big deal, right? I, I say due to the fact that people are behaving on my boy Steph Curry, but watch LeBron's probably going to kill it in the finals and then get because I think there's a playoffs MVP. It's got to go to AD. Agreed. 100 percent agreed. Oh, yo, but real quick before we finish this segment. The guy who's not the playoffs MVP, probably the LVP, Kyle Kuzma. There is literally a petition right now on change.org <laughs> saying that he should not receive a finals ring if the Lakers do win the finals. People got too much time on their hands, man. That's hilarious, to be honest with you. Miskeen so Kuz, bro, Miskeen. <laughs> He's always getting hated on. I mean, bro, not, let's be honest. He actually plays well, dude. I'm telling you, like... He actually, like, he thinks when he's on the court, too. Like, he drives it. He doesn't just try to put it up like a Jordan Clarkson, you know? He passes it. He finds AD, like, on cuts and stuff often. I'm actually really impressed. Like, he plays well. 
Yeah, but this is a constant that you're going to have whenever you have a LeBron team. Everyone else is going to get absolutely uh, ridiculed. You're going to get tons of memes, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Miskeen, I don't even know how J.R. Smith is still on that team. How, why is he on the roster again, guys? J.R. Smith is on the Lakers, bro. Like, when well, I saw that J.R. Smith is... <laughs> like J. Cole said, like, LeBron, give my more chips, you know? Are, I mean, Yeah, have we forgotten what happened uh, two years ago? Have we forgotten that whole... I bet you LeBron did not forget. <laughs> Are you serious? Like, we're talking about Kyle Kuzma doesn't, or, uh, doesn't deserve a ring, bro. I don't think J.R. Smith deserves a ring. Are we serious right now? He deserves it. He deserves it. I don't know. And if you know who really deserves it is the man who is going to get this impromptu <laughs> LW. No, they're going to get it regardless. <laughs> the impromptu LW, Dion Waiters. Who's going <laughs> to get a ring regardless of who wins? Uh, My no. man's went from tweaking too hard on an edible to getting a finals ring. Bro, shout Amazing. out to him, man. That's a little dirt, bro. He came from the trenches. That's Dion Waiters, baby. <laughs> Philly, bro, Philly cheese. That's what's up, bro. We haven't seen something this dope since Jamal Murray's post-not clarity, bro. That's good for him, man. No, no, no. Actually, and you know what's so crazy? This is the opposite of Anderson Verja, where uh, he, he, <laughs> <Yes>! moved, <laughs> where, where he moved from the Cavs to the Warriors in the exact season that the Cavs won and the Warriors lost. When you know you expected the Warriors were gonna win, I think he still did get a ring just for the same reason as like the Deion Waiters thing. But so funny, dude. Yeah, he wasn't with the team at least. You know, he wasn't at the parade. I don't know if he did because he, like it was on the it was in the off season. So I, I honestly don't know. No, Virgil <laughs> does have a ring. Yeah, he does, but it's for something else. It no, actually, no, he got it. it actually, that. I was wrong. He declined the uh, the Cavs 2015-2016 championship ring after they won. But he he accepted from the Warriors uh, in 2017 from that championship, even though he was waived, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> wow. Hey, honestly, that's honorable. He probably feels that 3-1 loss to the Cavs was just so embarrassing. He didn't even deserve it. Yeah, he definitely accepted that ring. All right, so I think that about wraps up this episode for today. Abdesalam, Omar, do you guys have anything that you want to talk about before we say sayonara? I mean, I definitely do. I just wanted a quick shout out the fact that World's League of Legends championship is happening right now over in China. Honestly, for me, I know like y'all don't watch it or follow it, but it's one of the most hyped times of the year for me. I look forward to it every time, even though the games are unwatchable because they're from 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. to like 7 a.m. But I actually stayed up last night watching them. So regardless, at the time of this recording... I'm a little bit depressed because uh, TSM are 0-2. They took uh, an L to Fnatic and, and Gen G. But look, I haven't I haven't lost hope. I haven't lost hope. I think if they come back and win this game against LGD, and then next week, you know, either go 2-1 or 3-0 or something, they'll be able to get that that second seed in the group. So just pray for me, brothers. Pray for me, please. And then in turn, I'm always rooting for NA and usually EU teams too. Uh, FlyQuest kind of got demolished by top esports, which was to be expected. And I think from Group D, the top esports and DRX are going to come out of it. Obviously, top esports is like pretty much the number one seed in the world that people think. They think they have the, the best player, their mid laner, Knight, better than Faker for, you know, Arlesis. I know that's, that's really the only player you know, but Ooh, they're not. SKT is irrelevant now. Yeah, shout out to them. I mean, they're own too. So uh, regardless, from Group B, I think Damwon and JDG are coming out. And from Group A, I think G2 and, and Suning. But I mean, look, China's always, or at least for the past couple of years, have, have taken the mantle from Korea. 
and Europe has been kind of one step behind. So I don't hold my breath anymore when it comes to NA teams succeeding. I just want someone to make it out of the group stage. But when it comes to who I'm actually looking for to probably win the whole thing, I'm going to go with a Chinese team, probably top esports. Um, but who I want to win is probably G2 because I think they have the best chance out of anyone that's not Korean or Chinese. And unfortunately, North America is definitely not going to make it out. So for anyone else that, that watches League, hit me up. This stuff is dope. So, yeah, real quick before um, I have a quick question. Like what makes teams like like these Chinese and Korean teams, what makes them so much better at League than like the American teams or the European teams? So first and foremost, the skill level of their players are just overall better. Like, they're better at farming, they're better at, like, making actual mechanical outplays in the game, and their their IQ of the game is just better uh, than North American teams and stuff, too. But mostly, their teamwork is also on another level. And the what's crazy is, like, before, especially when Korea was, like, the top region, the way that the meta was, was it was very slow-paced, very, like, people would scale up, and it would come more towards, like, the end of the game with... It would, the games would last longer and people would scale and, and the Korean teams were always the best with that. And so they would end up winning. But now the meta is very skirmish heavy. Literally, I'm talking like from level one, you know, before minions even spawn, the game has started now. Like it's that different from uh, what it used to be. People are literally making like, they used to think that things were like cheese, you know, if like uh, you try to invade them like at their jungle camp or something. Now these are like actual strategies that teams take to, to try to get leads. And they, in the meta that it is now, just completely snowball super heavy. So the games that you're seeing now are mostly stomps. They're not close games, which is why... Interesting. Yeah, which is why the close games are few and far between, but they're so good. And I want to shout out G2 Esports versus Suning, uh, their first game in Group A here at 2020 Worlds. This was seriously probably one of the best games of League of Legends I've ever watched. It was so hype. League uh, uh, lead changes... You heard about, like, base races, bro? You know, like, when people, like, race to to the Nexus and, like, try to take it, like, before the other team? This was a base relay. They got to the, like, G2 got to their base, and they misplayed, and they, they overstayed. They had Elder Dragon and Baron buff, and they couldn't take it, and, and uh, they died. So then Suning, which is the third seed from China, went all the way to the base of G2 and got one of their Nexus turrets down, and they were about to take the next one down, and then they respawned and then killed them back. And then uh, the ADC from G2, G2 perks, TP'd, which by the way, yeah, now ADCs take TP. Interesting. TP'd, yeah, TP'd to uh, their base and then finished the game. It was just crazy, dude. It was wild. Man, the meta's changed so much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, do you think the market in these more Eastern countries, is it larger for esports than it is out here? Or Because I kind of think about it like the way I view like NBA, NFL, things like that, where you can have, really not the NFL, but let's say the NBA, right? Or maybe even soccer, where the talent is dictated by the market, right? Where more money is, you're obviously going to get higher skilled, right? And so like with us, we, you know, here in the United States, we produce the best basketball players. Whereas it seems like out in the East, you produce the best esporters. Does that sound kind of like let's let's just put it like this? Nike made a collaboration with the LPL, the Chinese League organization, uh, made a commercial about esports for this world. Let's just put it like that. You see Nike making esports commercials here in America? You don't see that. Yeah, they. Don't I mean, think about that. think about it for these countries. The like esports are like their version of sports like you said i mean yeah china has like a basketball league but it's not the nba you know or they, do they have professional football leagues over in korea like 
You know what I mean? Like these these sports are what like the people watch over there or you know esports. That's what. Hey, that's yo, what they got they got the KBO though. They got the KBO. Shout hey, they do. They do. Shout out, shout out to baseball Yeah, shout them out. Shout them out. But yeah, man, really hype stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to the rest, especially when it comes to uh, the quarterfinals and beyond, because that's when really the best teams are there. And I'm telling you, man, like the teams here at Worlds are on another level than the teams you see like in, in just regular LCS or LEC or, or whatever region you watch. Like this is the best of the best that the world has to offer. And the games are so damn good, dude. And the commentators are seriously the best casters like compared to any other sport. They are better than them. They get so hype. All right, man. Amsterdam, do you have anything else? No, sir. That was awesome. So just going to wrap things up, guys. We went true sports and Ennies today where we talked a lot about all the different types of sports nba nfl esports ufc made a bunch of anime references uh, i'm really feeling like we're living up to the title guys hey man i had a good time too bro like i said first episode when i introduced myself i'm here for a good time not a long time you know i <laughs> i'd like to be here for a good time and a long time so agreed <laughs> agreed <laughs> agreed but yo 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 to all our listeners you know, leave the metaphorical comments below. I'm just saying, you know what to do. That's a wrap, mother effers.